things that he has done in our behalf. There's nothing sort of miraculous. He has worked miracles to get me where I am today. He's worked miracles to get you to where you are today. Literal miracles. And he will continue to do so. That his will will be accomplished through you. Praise God. Amen. Thank you for your attendance to the presence of God. Your faithfulness to the moving of his spirit. Thank you. You turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 14. First Samuel chapter 14 and verse 6. We'll also be reading from Matthew chapter 22 and verse 14. That's after First Samuel. Uh, a few of you laughed, yeah. <laughs> 1 Samuel chapter 14 and verse 6 says this. And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come, and let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. And then in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 14, Jesus says this. For many are called, but few are chosen. I'll preach with the help of the Lord for a few minutes this morning on this topic. You're all called, but are you chosen? You're all called, but are you chosen? Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for this opportunity you've given us today to hear the word of the Lord. I pray, God, that you would speak, that you would minister, that you would heal and save and restore and provide according to the needs represented here this morning. Most importantly, Lord, that we would draw nigh unto you, that you would fashion in us your glorious image, that we would be an accurate reflection of you to this world, and that your name here would be glorified today. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. We have been praying and fasting for the city, for this county, that God would save mightily and miraculously. And simultaneously that we would draw closer to him and that we would systematically become more like him. I apologize, I have a dry mouth today. <coughs> and in the pursuit of this, I have asked this whole congregation to uh, set aside for a, a time, maybe a long time, maybe forever, some of our hopes and our desires and our dreams and things that we want to accomplish, things that we want to pursue, spend time in, um, for the sake of, of having more time and more availability to the kingdom of God. And 
again, I, I understand what it is to ask that. I understand what it is to, to hear that being asked of you. Uh, I've certainly been asked of that before in my life, and it, it's always a struggle. It's always because there's, there's good things that we spend our time in. I mean, it's not all YouTube videos and, and Netflix. Uh, there are good, truly good things that, that we're involved in and that we want to pursue with our lives. But I encourage you again to consider that there are better things uh, to spend our time in. And so, well, when I ask, it's, it's not really me asking. Um, I believe the Lord is asking us. Uh, we've had prayer here uh, a couple nights, Tuesday nights, and we're going to again this Tuesday from 7 to 8, uh, praying corporately and specifically for those things. And as this, as any new thing starts in a church, it's been my experience that, you know, initially there's a, there's a, a, a good response, a really good response. And as the weeks go by, as the months go by, that kind of gradually drops off a little bit for one reason or another. I'm not criticizing, I'm not condemning in the past. I've been one of those that dropped out. Uh, so, you know, I... I'm not going to sit here in judgment uh, over anybody that does. But the point of the sermon this morning is that there are times in our lives where God will qualify us. He will ask something of us and then see how we respond. Again, he already knows the response. He needs us to know the response. But based on our response to those things is how he will determine how he's going to use us. He has a plan A for all of us, but that plan A is predicated on our obedience and our submission to him. If we fail to do that, then he'll have a plan B or a plan C. And it's always been my desire, whether I've acted like it, act like it or not in the past, it's always been my desire for God to have his plan A in me. I want plan A to be what, what is chosen for me. And so, it's always been my desire as much as I can to say yes to the man of God. When I, was, when I first came into the church, I feel like the Lord impressed me to that. That when he asks something of me, I need to step up and, and, and do what he asks. I've given, given you the example of worship leading. I told God anything but that. I don't want to worship lead. So I did that for 10 years. And I don't think I was any better on the 10th year than the first day I stepped up. But I was being faithful. I was being obedient. And I had no idea why someone would ask me to worship lead. I just have no idea. But uh, they did, so I said yes, because I told God I'd say yes to anything. And uh, I believe that the Lord has blessed me for that. <clears throat> I hope and pray that God blessed the people that heard me. So people 
uh, Christians in their walk with God, they encounter these times in their lives, these tests, these crossroads. And based on our decision, based on uh, what we decide to do with that, is how God is going to use us in the future. This is a time of qualification. We understand through Scripture that uh, this entire life, in fact, is a period of testing. We are going to receive rewards in heaven after this life is over. We are, we are going to receive uh, ranks in God's kingdom based on what we've done for him here. The Bible teaches that. I'm not particularly interested at this point in getting a higher or lower rank. I just want to be with Jesus. Uh, I think that's probably most of our desires. But nonetheless, we are going to receive ranks based on our obedience and our submission and our, our willingness to follow the plan of God in this life. And so we understand that these, these qualification periods do come in our lives. If we look at periods of qualification in the natural, my mind immediately jumped to the spec ops community, the special operations teams that we have in our armed forces. It doesn't take much to join the Army or the Navy. We just need to sign on the dotted line and, and meet some basic health requirements and, and pass an ASVAB test. That's really about it. And based on our ASVAB score, we'll find a job to do. And we're in. But if we want to do something a little bit more elite, and by elite I mean as far as fighting forces go. For example, the Navy, you have the Navy SEALs. Not everybody makes it into the, the Navy SEALs. That is a very elite community. And they go through a rigorous process and weeding out those who just probably don't want to be there. In fact, the, uh, the Navy SEALs, I looked these up, they have close to an 80% attrition rate amongst enlisted personnel. If you're an enlisted personnel, you've got about a, a 2 in 10 chance of making it. That's pretty high. Not really that fair either. My dad was a SEAL. Why can't I be a SEAL? I want to be a SEAL. I want to with all my heart. Okay, we'll demonstrate that here out on the, the PT field. Demonstrate that out there in the ocean. Most can't. I believe they want to, but they just can't measure up. They can't pass the qualification. It's interesting that in the Navy SEALs, Brother Shepard, 65% of officers quit. Only 65% amongst officers. Now, I know enough about Navy SEAL training or these, this kind of training in general to know that the officers do not get a, a free ride. They get quite the opposite. They're rided the most. Why? Because if they graduate, the Navy SEAL's instructors are there to as gatekeepers. They only want the very best officers leading them in battle. We have examples all through history of poor leadership on the battlefield and what it does. They want no part of it. Understandably so. So when an officer applies to the Navy SEALs qualification course, they're going to make good and sure that they have a good officer out there leading them on the battlefield. 
Because that officer that's in training today might be leading me as an instructor later on. You just never know. But only 65%, even though they're singled out, only 65% fail. I think that has something to do with the officer mentality versus the enlisted mentality. The officers are comfortable with authority. They're comfortable with a leadership role, and by that I mean they're comfortable with problem solving. They're, they're comfortable with tough situations and overcoming them. And that's primarily what it takes, is knowing how to get through tough situations. Enlisted, they're not as well versed in that, depending on where they're at. I mean, an E8 and an E9, yeah, they're well versed in that. But uh, private E nothing, E1, E2, not so much. The Delta Force, the Delta Force is considered, or the unit as they call themselves, they are considered the pinnacle of all the armed forces we have in the United States. They receive people from all branches of the military. Uh, they have uh, right around a 90% attrition rate, give or take, depending on the class. And the same reason applies. They want to. It was their dream to. They just couldn't measure up. The standard is the same for everybody. It's very fair. If you can't measure this up to the standard, then you don't qualify to be a part of our community. That's just the way it is. Pararescue, that's the uh, elite branch of the Air Force. They are very well respected. I, d I couldn't find a specific percentile, but I found someone that had graduated, uh, and he... He states this about the attrition rate, and I quote, My class started with 110 people. 35 quit on the first day. They probably had no idea what they were getting themselves into and didn't really care to continue. Fair enough. 15 couldn't meet the physical standard at some point. The pull-up, the run, the treading in water uh, are the only ones I remember guys f failing. This is this guy speaking. Ten quit during land stuff, smoke sessions, grass and gorilla, or the morning after. Uh, who knows what a smoke session is? For those civilians amongst us, that is where the instructor will take you out onto a PT field and work you until somebody quits. That's pretty much it. Uh, work you to complete muscle failure and then tell you to keep going. You're mentally weak. <laughs> it's a good time. Oh, yeah. They do that at first to test your will to continue. Two kicked out in the pipeline for improper behavior. Uh, two failed medical. Thirteen graduated. The rest quit in the pool. This is him speaking. Either blew the horn or failed to complete an event. Water stresses people out in ways few other things can. Genuinely makes you feel like you're courting death. Some people can overcome it. Others cannot. So in the, in the military community, we understand that there is, a, there is a period of testing where there are instructors that will be scrutinizing your every move, your every decision, your every choice. 
and they're going to be analyzing you to see if you're worthy to be here or not. That's what the instructor's role is. Give you hard situations and see how you overcome them. See how you respond to them. Do you respond healthily? Okay, it's a situation. How do I get through this? Or is it going to destroy you? Is it going to crush you? I can't do this. Ring the bell. And so, fortunately or unfortunately, in the kingdom of God, there exists very similar parameters. There exists a very similar situation. And each of us probably have already faced one or more of these qualification processes. I don't know how you've done in all of them. I have a good idea of how I've done in all of them. I'm not impressed. I'm not impressed with myself. If we look at the book of Judges, chapter 6, verses 32 through 35, I'm sorry, 33 through 35, the Bible says this, and this is our friend Gideon, Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the children of the east were gathered together and went over and pitched in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, and Abiezer was gathered after him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who also was gathered after him. And he sent messengers unto Asher, and unto Zebulun, and unto Naphtali, and they came up to meet him. So all of these people were called. Thousands upon thousands of people were called. And they answered. They answered the call. They all came. God's plan called for less men, not more. And so he instituted a selection process, a proving period. In Judges chapter 7, starting with verse 1, he says, Then Jerubbabel, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him, rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod, so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. Now therefore go to, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And there returned of the people twenty and two thousand, and there remained ten thousand. So already we're getting well over 50% attrition rate here. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people are yet too many. Bring them down unto the water, and I will try them for thee there. Interesting phrase. And it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, This shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee. And of whomsoever I say unto thee, This shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. So he brought down the people unto the water, and the Lord said unto Gideon, Everyone that lappeth of the water with his tongue as a dog lappeth, him shalt thou set by himself. Likewise, everyone that boweth down upon his knees to drink. And the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were three hundred men. But all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. The Lord said unto Gideon, By the three hundred men that lapped will I save you. And deliver the Midianites into thine hand, and let all the other people go, every man, unto his place. Okay, so in this instance, we see that many were called, but few were chosen. We see that 
what was it, 23,000? 30. Tens of thousands of people. He'll figure it out. Let me know, buddy. So, uh, we started with tens of thousands of people. And we ended up with 300. Now that's, that's a little bit more than 90%. Attrition rate. Now the standard didn't change. There may have been people in there that really wanted to do this. That really wanted to, for one reason or another, get this done for God. But they were disqualified. They were disqualified. Now, they weren't, they weren't lost. They didn't fall out with God. None of that at all. They still had a relationship with God. They were still his son. Still the people of God. But they weren't going to be used in this capacity now. Because they failed the tests that were provided. In today's day and age, all people are called to repentance. Everyone that's ever born is called to repentance. Everyone is called. But the Bible says in Matthew 7, 13, and 14, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. Many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. So we find the attrition rate even here is pretty high. Everyone is called to repentance, but few people are going to find it. And that's not because of the will of God either. Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's God's perfect will for all people to come to repentance. God hasn't predestinated some to make it to heaven and others to, to go to hell. Okay? This idea of predestination is absurd and it's patently false. Now, if you want to be predestinated, stay in the church. The church is predestinated. The church will go up with Jesus in the air. Absolutely. The church is predestinated to do that. So if you want predestination, stay in the church. Then you can have predestination too, as long as you stay in the church. Those that do repent, those that come to the Lord, He calls His people to take extraordinary action, to lead extraordinary lives. But many of us disqualify ourselves from that. We've seen Gideon and his men. If we look at the life of Esau, Esau was the firstborn. His was the birthright. He didn't have to do a whole lot. Just, yeah, just kind of show up. Just kind of do what he was supposed to do. And it was his. But the Bible says he despised his birthright. He sold it for a a bowl of beans. A bowl of lentils. 
He despised his birthright. And he lost it. He disqualified himself from being a part of the lineage of his people. If we look at King Saul, Saul started off really good. He was a humble man, although he was a a towering, ginormous kind of guy. But he looked stately. He looked kingly. So God chose him. But he had no idea what to do, and he knew it. He wanted nothing to do with it. When they went to anoint him, he was hiding. They had to dig him out from underneath a bushel or something. But he started getting used to it. He started getting comfortable with it. And pretty soon it got to his head. It was God's desire to establish him upon the throne, just like he did David. But he disqualified himself twice. He offered a sacrifice he had no business offering, and he didn't fulfill the command of God against the Amalekites. He failed both times. Both times he had excuses. Both times he never said sorry. I have sinned, but walk with me now. Stay by me like nothing's wrong. Don't let the people know any of this is taking place. We see a similar time in David's life, but he responded quite differently. He rents his clothes, and he fasted in sackcloth and ashes, and he repented and he humbled himself. He wasn't careful about it. He didn't care who knew. There was something more important in David's mind, and that was being right with God. But Saul disqualified himself. He lost out. The plan that God had for him was no longer in effect. He chose someone else, man after his own heart. If we look at the rich young ruler, he came to Jesus with a question. He was making it. He was good to go. He was fulfilling all the commandments. Jesus loved him. Jesus offered to make him a disciple. Sell all that you have and come and follow me. Come and follow me. But he loved his riches more than Jesus Christ. And so he too had a plan for his life that never came to pass. He disqualified himself. How about you and me? God has such a unimaginable plan for each of us. I have not seen, ear hath not heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man. If I can take a scripture out of context. What he has planned for you. The life that he has in store for you. I think it's still works, Scott. It's unimaginable. We can't imagine what God has in store for each and every person here. Not just a church body, not just uh, the church universal, but you specifically. He has a design for you. He created you with a purpose in mind, with a plan in mind. And it's His desire to get you there. 
But we have a responsibility to him as well. We have to do what he's telling us to do. We have to submit ourselves to him. And that preaches well. And that generally gets a decent response. But Monday morning when we have to start applying that, it gets a little bit more difficult. Submitting to God when he's telling us to do something we don't want to do. When I have to do worship leading. And I don't want to do worship leading. You all have something that I'll do anything but this. I'll do anything but this thing here. We all have that. Don't be too surprised if that's the first thing God asks you to do. Because again, we all want to be used in something that we're comfortable with, something we're good at already, something we're qualified to do, something we have skills and talents in. That makes it nice. It makes it easy. I can hit the ground running. When God asks me to do something that I'm not qualified for, that I have no idea what I'm doing, that's a little bit more difficult to answer yes to. Because it's scary. What if I fail? What if I stumble? What What if I make a mistake and someone else suffers for it? These are valid questions. Typically, but if God's chosen you to do that, if he's called you to do that, then we have to do that. We have to follow his plan. Why do I say we have to? Well, one, because he's God and and we need to do what he says because he's the ultimate authority. But more than that, looking at it from a purely uh, selfish perspective, we want what's best for us, don't we? We want the best life possible. Everyone does. That's the life Jesus has planned for you. So if that's true, if you want that, then we need to choose his life. We need to serve him. We need to give him whatever he's asking. We need to do whatever he's telling us to do. And in so doing, we qualify ourselves for greater levels of service. We qualify ourselves for that plan A that he has in store for us. If we decide not to, You're not, probably, I mean, in and of itself, you're not going to lose out with God because of that. You can still serve Jesus in other areas. You can still do things for God. But your plan A will never come to fruition. It will be a substandard life from what God had originally intended for you. I don't know if you guys do, but more and more, I'm interested in speaking with elders, hearing their wisdom, hearing the experiences that they've had. I always enjoyed, even as a kid, sitting down with my grandmother, and she'd tell me about World War II and, and you know the recipes she had, and she'd make her own butter with the, the cream rations, and, and uh, she worked in Milwaukee. She did something with boats, I think. Anyway... Sounds like hard work. I was impressed. Anyway, and she'd tell me all of these stories, you know, the the depression and how they lived and and what they experienced. I was fascinated. I could listen to that. I could still listen to that for hours, 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 hours. 
just hearing about the experiences that people have went through. Experiences that happened well before I was born. And one thing, <laughs> yeah, they survived just fine. One thing that's always impressed me about listening to, uh, like, my grandmother. She would start off with that, you know, going through all of the good times, a couple of the bad times, but there were mostly good times that she would recollect. And then she'd, she'd kind of end it on a, on a note of regret. Things that she regretted, things that she did that ought not have been done, things she said that should have never been spoken, you know, things like that. And as much as I could, I listened to that too. Because there is such thing as a, a, a negative example. Uh, someone doing something and you learning from that. This is what I ought not to do. This is the person I ought not to be. And so I was able to learn from both sides of that. And as I get older, definitely not a kid anymore. I'm not old, but mature. I'm a mature guy. But the older I get, the more I start thinking about those regrets that those people had. And how can, I, how can I get to the end of my life and not have those regrets? How can I sit on my deathbed and say, it's been a good life. I'd do it all over again if I had the chance. That's the way I want to live life. That's the way I want the end of my life to be, as a testament, a testimony to the goodness of God that I followed Jesus Christ with all of my heart, no matter what, no matter if it got hard, no matter if it got difficult, or, or I was all alone in doing so. Uh, all of my friends left me. Whatever happened, I still stayed with it. I stuck, I stuck with Jesus Christ through all of it. And He stayed with me through all of my failings and all of my shortcomings. And at the end, I had a life worth living. That's the way I wanted when my children, my grandchildren, you know, whatever's there at that time, uh, when they gather around and I anoint them and pray for them and pray the blessing on them, which I do every time I get sick. <laughs> anyway, when that time comes, I want to pass that legacy on. And for myself, I don't want any regrets. I don't want to look back and say, I should have said yes to God then. I should have did what he said then. It would have been so much better for me. But today, today is the day of salvation. Today we can decide to do something different. Today we can decide to make up our minds to serve him no matter what. Whatever he's asking of us, no matter what he's calling us to do, there are people that are afraid to know what God has called them to do. I had a guy text me just the other day. I was afraid for the longest time to, to figure out what God wanted me to do, but now I'm not afraid anymore. I'm like, why would you be afraid? I'd be afraid not to know. I would, I would be afraid not to know what God wants for me. Stumbling around in this life all by myself with no guidance? Are you kidding? I tried that. That doesn't work. We need to know what God has called us to do. We need to. And after we have that assurance, we know, we're persuaded, this is what God has called me to do. 
that we need to run after it with every fiber of our being. Whatever it's going to cost, whatever it's going to take, we need to pursue fast and hard after that. Because after everything is done, that's all that's going to matter. That's all that's going to, to come with us into eternity is what we did for Jesus Christ. But we're being qualified today. How do we become chosen? We know we're called. How do we become chosen? Well, the first thing is obedience and submission to God. I know I'm beating a dead horse here. But it's so absolutely important that we submit ourselves to God. God is the authority in this universe. There's no one higher to go to. All authority comes from Him. So we do, we do right and we do well by submitting ourselves to that authority and being obedient to His commands, being obedient to the Word of God, being obedient to what He is telling us over the pulpit through prayer, through our fasting. When we read Scripture, He speaks to us. God speaks to His people, not just here, but in prayer. All of it will be confirmed. All of it will be the same stuff if it's from God. We need to have a, a, a willingness to sacrifice. I said a willingness. It doesn't mean we're going to have to. Everything we have comes from Him, right? That includes our time. That includes our finances. That includes the gifts and the talents that we've been given. They all come from Him. He gave them to us for a reason. The reason probably not being to build a nice, comfy lifestyle for ourselves. If God gives us a nice, comfy lifestyle... Praise God. I truly mean that. I pray that for everybody here, that you would be financially blessed, independently wealthy. Nothing wrong with that. You do it legally, ethically, morally. All of those quid pro quos. But, but if God doesn't, if God doesn't bless us in that manner, it doesn't matter. What he does bless us with, we need to bless him with, whatever that is. I tell people when they come to church, you know, people that start coming to church, they're worried about their clothes and their dress. I'm like, whatever, whatever the best you have is, give that to God. Whatever that is. You don't need to dress like this. I like dressing like this. But at the end of the day, if you're giving your best to God, whatever that is, your best is different than mine. Mine is different than yours. <clears throat> as long as everything in our lives, our heart, our attitude is to give God our best always, everything else is going to take care of itself. Kind of like holiness. If we have a heart to please God, no matter what, everything else is going to take care of itself. 
So we need obedience and submission to God. We need to have a, a heart to sacrifice. We need to have an attitude of commitment. And that is quite literally a curse word in today's society. To commit to something. To bind yourself to something. I'll be there if I get the chance. I'll be there if it works for me. I'll be there if it's, if it's convenient. Serving God is not going to be convenient. It was never meant to be. Our lives were not meant to be convenient. I like convenience just as much as the next guy. I don't like to make things any harder than they need to be. That sound system of ours. It's just working now, by the way. Completely. knows how to bless his people. Anyway, we need to have an attitude of commitment. When God asks us to do something, we commit ourselves to it. When, When there's something going on, we commit ourselves to it. In that commitment, let me take a step back, the people that sign up for spec ops groups, the people that sign up to, to try out for Delta Force, One of the things that they tell them that gets a lot of people to quit is this. You think it's hard now, wait till you get to your duty station. This is how you're going to be living for the rest of your time in the Navy. And that's true. And they're like, what? This is is what I have to look forward to forever? A lot of people don't want to commit to that. And so they're out. And rightly so. It's not for them. They thought it was one thing. It's glamorous. You know, I get to put the trident on my patch, and, and I'm a Navy SEAL, and people are going to respect me, and, and I'm going to walk in, and they're going, oh, you're a SEAL. Oh, okay. That's what they're looking at. But to get there, I hope, I hope that, that little moment of fame is worth it for you. Because, yeah, that price may not be worth it. So they got to have an attitude of commitment. They're committing their lives to this lifestyle. They're committing everything that they have to living this way from now on. This is who I am now. I'm not a, I'm not a sailor. I'm a seal. And that's a difference. That's a difference they pride themselves in. And that's a difference that means something. It's not just talk. It's not just legislated difference. It's difference bought with sweat and blood. It's difference difference bought with with tears and and overcoming horrific situations that they are being placed in. And looking forward to that the rest of their lives. But only now it's real. Here it's, it's, it's training, it's testing. And they know that. But when they get over there, it's real. The bullets are real. The wounded are real. And that's what they're committing their lives to. If someone can commit their lives to that, how much more ought we be able to commit our lives to serving Jesus Christ with the same level of commitment, the same level of sacrifice? The Bible talks about us being in a race. 
that we need to run the race to win it. It takes some dedication to run a race. You've got to discipline your diet, discipline your time. You're not going to have a lot of time to spend with family and friends because you're training. You can't go out to eat with them at Taco Bell or Burger King because that food is going to destroy my chances of winning this race. So they eat a proper diet. They get plenty of exercise. They get plenty of sleep. Everything in their schedule is focused on that one task. Everything in their lives is being laser-focused toward winning a race, winning a boxing match, winning a track tournament, whatever it is. The athlete becomes very focused, very disciplined toward their goal. We need to have the same discipline, the same focus toward getting to our goal. Jesus Christ has a plan. He has a goal for this church. He has a plan and a goal for each and every one of us. But we have got to discipline ourselves to see that come to fruition. The last thing we need is desire. A desire to be like Jesus. A desire to draw close to Him. A desire to see His will accomplished in your life. A desire to be the version of you that God has always intended you to be. Amen. Let's all stand. The good thing is that all of these things are easily within all of our reaches. None of us have to be disqualified. All of us can accomplish these things. The bad news is, probably, that it's up to us. It's all up to us. We have the choice in front of us. Do we commit ourselves to this, or is it too much? Can I live that lifestyle for the rest of my days on earth? serving Jesus Christ, working for Him, being a spiritual warrior, being an intercessor, giving of my time, my finances, my energies toward that end? Or will I decide that there are other things just more important in my life right now? In any case, there is usually a very high attrition rate when God presents these things scripturally and historically. But I want us to all come to the front this morning, almost this afternoon. I want us to all come to the front. You're not committing by coming to the front.